these two disciples take the testimony of who from their, their rabbi, their leader, John, knowing that John's ministry has never been that he is the Messiah, but that he was always the forerunner of the Messiah, that when John says, this is the one who I've been speaking of, these two disciples of John decide to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned and said them, saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated means teacher, where are you staying? Now it's interesting that right away they call him Rabbi or teacher or master. Because if anything, it's been John who they've been following. But since they take the testimony of John, that this is the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that they are immediately going to follow Him as their master, their teacher, their rabbi. So they want to know, where are you staying? And He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where He was staying, and they stayed with Him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, for us, that's not 10 a.m., that's about 4 p.m. So they follow him, they find out where he's staying, and they spend the rest of that day communicating with Jesus where he was. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew is an interesting person. Andrew means manly. In the Gospels, Andrew is never really a highlighted disciple. And you can kind of see, because as we will get to know his brother Peter, who's always the one who seems to be in the center of attention, always being the one who speaks, always seems to be the one who acts, Andrew has always kind of been kind of the background person. When we see Later in the Gospels, of the twelve, they're always kind of listed in three different groups, three groups of four. And Andrew's always listed in the first group, but the last of the first group. So he's, if you will, influential, but doesn't, isn't in the main flow of the story. But I find it interesting what Andrew does. One of the two who heard John speak of being John's disciple and follow him was Andrew, Simon and Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translates means Christ. Andrew immediately doesn't keep it to himself. Andrew shows two things that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah and acts on it by bringing his brother to the Lord. His following Christ is more than just following Christ. He wants to make sure that his brother also does so. So he brings Peter, Simon Peter, to him. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So immediately... Peter, if you will, gets a new name, Peter. It was Simon, and it gives us both the Greek 
and the uh, Aramaic form of his name. But Andrew's first response into finding the Messiah was to see that his brother came as well. Many decades ago when we used to have revivals, one of the things that would kind of would be used to uh, promote the revival was Operation Andrew. And Operation Andrew was where you would try to invite people to come to the revival to hear the word of the Lord and to be saved. And so there was a sense of Andrew was one of those people who came. But if you will, Operation Andrew is really Operation Get My Family Saved. Because that's what Andrew does. He goes to his brother. Now, I suspect Andrew knew exactly who his brother was. Because not only did they grow up in the same home, they were business partners. He was a fisherman along with Peter and James and John. So it's not like Andrew didn't know his brother. And knowing his brother, and that he might even take a back seat to his brother, he loved his brother enough to bring him anyway. The next day he proposed to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So there's again this connection that they're in the same place. But Philip is a Greek name. It means the lover of horses. It's interesting that Jesus sees Simon, a Jewish name, and changes his name to Peter Little Stone. But Philip, a Jew but with a Greek name, he doesn't change the name. But he calls him. Now notice both the two disciples of John followed Jesus based on John's testimony. And then they discovered who Jesus further was by meeting with him. Andrew then brings Simon. But Jesus now calls Philip separately to come. Now Philip in the future, will be one who will be interested in the cost of things. When Jesus goes to feed the thousands and there's no, there's no food, he's the one who says, but there's not enough money. Even if we had this amount of money, it would not be enough to feed everyone. But Philip was also the one during Passover where the Jewish Christian, I mean, the Jewish believers who were of Greek background came to Philip to meet with Jesus. So Philip would be a conduit in that sense. But notice again what Philip does. Philip found Nathaniel. And he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip knows something about Jesus. It's not a matter of, come follow me, and then immediately Philip goes to Nathaniel. Philip learns who he's following. 
and comes to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah and knows enough when he discusses it with Nathaniel, tells Nathaniel about how we know that this is the Messiah because Moses wrote of him and the prophets wrote of him. And that's the one that I'm going to bring you to. And his background is, he's from Nazareth, the purported son of Joseph. Nathaniel, which means, well, Nathaniel's from Canaan, and it means uh, God has given. Nathaniel's response isn't, oh boy, I believe you. His response is, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, some will say that that's kind of a prejudiced view. Nathaniel comes from Canaan, a small town of several miles, not that far from Nazareth. Nazareth is a more northerly town. It is said that that when the uh, Romans needed workers, they would come to Nazareth and take them to do work or whatever. But there's a sense of whatever. But I suspect it's not as much prejudice as it is since Philip has told Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, the one that the prophets and Moses has written about, Nathaniel knows enough to say, nothing comes from Nazareth. He didn't say he was born in Bethlehem. He didn't say the things that, that later we do know of Jesus. But he came from Nazareth. Now, Philip could have been like us and said, well, I tried. And walk away and say, well, you know, I tried to lead him to the Lord, but he just wouldn't listen. Philip said to him, come and see. You talk to him. You decide whether he's the Messiah or not for your own. I know that we have talked to him. I know he has called me to follow him. And I believe that he's the Messiah. You come and see. So he wasn't dissuaded by the comments. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And he said of him, Behold, an, Israel, an Israelite, indeed, whom there is no deceit. That's his comment about Nathanael, which is interesting because in essence, Jesus is indicting all the Jews. Why? Because Israel was Jacob. And Jacob was the one who disguised himself and deceived his father into getting the birthright. You see, Jacob wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't beyond deceit and whatever else that it took to acquire what it was he wanted. And Jesus says, I see this one, and he's an Israelite. There is no deceit. There is no guile. He's, if you will, an honest man. And Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Interesting his comment. One is, Well, how do you know 
who I am. Not only just the, how do you know my name, but how is it that you know the character, the content of my character? Now, if he were falsely humble, he could have said, well, you know, I'm not really that honest of a man or whatever. He doesn't say that. He goes, Jesus understands who I am. And then Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, that may tell Jesus what he looked like, but it doesn't give him his name, and doesn't give him the content of his character, unless Jesus is no ordinary man. And Jesus is no ordinary man. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So this is two comments that Nathaniel makes in his profession of faith. He's the Son of God. Everybody's been saying he's been the Messiah. No one's talked about the Messiah being the Son of God. It's just that the Messiah was going to be the King of Israel. But Nathaniel understands that Jesus is more than just the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he makes that declaration of faith and also says that he is the King of Israel, which he acknowledges that Jesus is his King because he's an Israelite. The Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Jesus asked him, By just revealing this amount of information, you now have faith. It's interesting, we've now seen Andrew and the other disciple who's probably John. And now Simon later called Peter, and Philip and Nathaniel, all coming to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah based on the limited information that they have, whether it's the testimony of John the baptizer or it's their closeness and discussion with Jesus. Their faith is in operation. Now notice, it's not perfect faith. Because there's going to be three and a half years that they're going to travel with Jesus and they're going to learn more and they're going to understand more, but they're still not going to have great, tremendous faith until there is an event that happens called the resurrection. But notice, each of these have come to faith based on the information they have and based on their contact with Jesus. And notice that each of these we see in their response seeking others, whether loved ones, family members, or in Philip's case, probably a good friend. So we probably should call instead of Operation Andrew, probably should have called it Operation Philip. But their response is, come and see Jesus. 
They didn't wait to spend three and a half years under the tutelage of Jesus before they became proclaimers of who he is. Similarly, we do not have to have a PhD in theology in order to be witnesses of him. Once we have come to the realization that he is the Messiah, we take that amount of faith and we reveal to others who he is. And when they ask us questions that we can't answer, and they will definitely ask us questions that we can't answer, they'll say, come and see. I may not have the answer, but there might be someone who does, or I do know that Jesus does. Come and see him. All too often, we want to have all of the answers before we give any and I suspect if you have come to the realization that Jesus is the Messiah, that he had some, you had some questions that had to be answered before you did that, you can start with those. Well, I question this, and I question that. And you may, and understand that we don't come here as blank slates who say, well, my parents believe they're a father. We all have to come to the understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is. All too often, that's the reason so many children leave the faith is because it was the faith of their parents, not their faith. And they go to college and hear all of the information that they receive from their professors never having asked those questions of themselves and said, well, what my parents believed must have been a bunch of God in the gaps and therefore I'll just walk away because science tells me something different. But when we translate faith to faith, it's their faith, not ours. So, don't wait to be a PhD in theology before you witness what God has done for you. But Jesus goes on to say, if you believe based on that, boy, do I have something for you. Because I've said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. If that caused you to believe, wait till you see what I've got in store. And he said to him, truly, truly. Now, when Jesus says truly, truly, since I've been using school and stuff, this is like it's on the test. Okay, He's saying something important. It's time to write it down. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now this should cause Nathaniel, who understands the Word of God, to understand something. That his father Jacob, on a journey, was tired and decided to lay down and sleep at a place near Bethel and laid his head on a stone. And in that dream, he saw a ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending on it. 
And Jesus says, that ladder is me. And you're going to see heavenly things and spiritual things happening that the world would love to see. You have little faith. I'm going to show you great things. You hear people on television talking about having great faith, and if you only have this amount of faith, these things will happen. Jesus is reward of those who have little faith. Because from little faith, he can grow it. The problem is, like with the Pharisees, they had no faith. But Jesus says, if you believe in these little things, I'm going to show you some awesome spiritual things. These five men responded by the information that they had that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. So I started out this message by saying, what if you found the Messiah? What would you do? There are some who find him, and they follow, but they follow from a distance. Never wanting to get too close to Jesus, because they might actually have to be like him. And then you'll get those who will follow him, because he gives miracles, and bread, and water, and heals and raises the dead, and does all sorts of things. And those things are exciting to be a part of, and they're a part of it, until Jesus starts teaching some really tough things. One of the things that he taught that was difficult for them to, to accept, as far as those who were following him, was that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And a lot of people who followed Jesus left, because it was too hard a saying. But those like these men continued to follow him because they said, who else has the words of life? Now, funny thing for me, I guess it's because living some a couple of thousand years later, his teaching of you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's not nearly as hard as I'm supposed to love you as he loved you. That's a hard saying. Because he loved you perfectly. He loved you without condemnation. He loved you when it cost him. And his teaching is, I am to love you that way. And, I'm, and he, his teaching to you is, you are to love me that way. But it isn't, I'm to love you that way when you love me that way. It's, I'm to love you that way regardless of what you do in return. Because that's how Jesus loved. Then he had a little other harder sayings like, we're supposed to love our enemies. Now I like the idea of crushing them. But that's not his teaching. These men followed him either because they were witness to or Jesus called them. But they followed. And they became different men than they were 
before they started following Jesus? Are we different people now than when we first started following him? Are we unchanged? If we're unchanged, then I suspect you may verbalize that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, but you haven't convinced yourself because it hasn't changed you, because he hasn't changed you. You see, becoming a disciple of Christ isn't a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's a matter of dying to yourself and living to him. That's what being a disciple is of Christ. That's the one who follows him. That's the one who emulates him. To deny self for the better of the other. Now the fortunate thing, as we will see through the ministry of Jesus, that these followers who are not yet apostles. We're going to see later he's going to call them again. And if you don't read all of the Gospels, you get the sense of, well, all of a sudden Peter just drops everything and starts following him. That's an odd thing to do. But he's had a number of contacts with Jesus. So when Jesus calls him out of his job, out of his business of being a fisherman, and to do the business of fishing for men, he's already had a relationship with Jesus. Similarly, when we are called by him, it's because we have a relationship with him. And we follow him knowing who he is. If he is the Son of God, and he is, then he's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to, for his teachings to be not just sayings, but applied to our hearts and our lives. If he is the Messiah, and he is, then he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if he is the Lamb of that takes away the sins of the world, then I am forgiven. And I am now a child of God because of Him. So I am more than just changed by who I am. I am changed by what I am. I am changed by what I do. I've been changed by what my motivation is. I've been changed by what my goals are. I've been changed by all of what life has to offer. Because I have come to the realization imperfectly that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the King not only of Israel, but my King. And he is worthy of my worship. He is worthy of my loyalty. He is worthy of all that I am which is not enough. So these five followed him. 
We're going to sing a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. We decide we don't go with the crowd because the crowd is going. We go because we have come to the realization he is who he said he is. Now I have a great advantage over these five at this particular point in time. They came to the conclusion that he's the son of God by who he is and what he's done. I tell you, other than that his spirit has borne with, with my spirit that he's the son of God. But there's one thing that confirms it, and that is he rose from the dead. Christianity rises and falls on that one fact. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have wasted the time that we've been spent together. We've wasted whatever tithes and offerings you've given. We've wasted our breath singing to the air. But if he is, and he did rise from the dead, not only was it not a waste of time, we should have even been more fervent in our worship, more fervent in our praise, and more fervent in being who he has called us to be. Interesting, he's not called us to be perfect, but he has called us to be like him. It is my hope and my prayer that as I follow him, I follow him. And it is my hope and my prayer that as you follow him, you follow him. Not circumstance, not blessings, not good times, but you follow him because he is the Messiah. And all God's people said,